Hey, it's Dr. Judy. Since 1971, Pepperdine Graduate School of Education and Psychology has had one mission, to strengthen professionals for lives of purpose, service, and leadership. And it just happens to be where I work. Online psychology at Pepperdine is the latest evolution of our mission, with online master's programs designed for people who want to align their work to their life's true calling. Pepperdine offers three online programs that feature course topics like trauma in diverse populations, multicultural counseling, social psychology, and so much more. The online master's programs are led by renowned faculty in the field who are passionate about their life's work and their students. Students will learn from faculty like myself who see sharing knowledge and mentoring students as more than work, but a noble pursuit and responsibility. Through an intuitive digital campus, students are connected to everything and everyone that they need access to, wherever they are, on any device. At Pepperdine, purpose is not just something that we preach. It's something we embody. We are a community of more than 130,000 professionals making waves and enriching lives. So what are you waiting for? Pursue your purpose at online psychology at Pepperdine. Visit PepperdinePurpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. That's P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E Purpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. See you there. Hi, I'm Dr. Judy and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today's supercharged tip is the incredible tool of empowerment, the practice of learning to take initiative, make decisions and solve problems and help others do the same. Empowerment is about giving yourself and others skill sets, resources, opportunities and responsibilities to achieve the life you want and deserve. And to do this, we need to create both internal and external transformations that will give us the best chance at making the biggest impact. And there's no better person to talk about that with than my incredible guest today, who is an activist, philanthropist, and community leader. Her father is Rodney King, who was brutally beaten by police in 1991. As a result, she grew up in the public eye, and despite the challenges she and her family have experienced, she has dedicated her life to prepare the world, build bridges between unlikely collaborators, and to enhance community self-esteem, health, social services, and justice. Please welcome Laura King. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's an honor. I love everything you're doing. I really do. And everything you just spoke, that's like super powerful. Thank you so much. And I love everything you're doing as well. And we're going to be talking about so many different things. So I just want to start with asking you a question. And I know you've probably been consuming all the information about this and had a lot of time to think about it. But how does everything happening today with George Floyd parallel what you went through with your dad? You know, um, it's a it's a bit of a repetitive thing. Um, but on the flip end, there's a lot of different nationalities that are stepping up, speaking out, which is a great thing, which is something that we've all witnessed. We've never witnessed this before. So it's pretty powerful. And it gives you, you know, in a sense of everything that's going on back to back um, bad news. It's like that part gives you a hope of, hey, now people, other people are being bothered by this. You know, now other people are standing up saying enough is enough because African-American people and people of the community have been saying it and they've been obviously being ignored. So it's a powerful movement to have all walks of life, every nationality be involved. That's a big deal. So for me, um, that gives me a big sense of hope. I really think that this has been a very interesting intersection. Like you said, there's something different about the movement after George Floyd's murder. It feels a little different. It's like, okay, people have had finally had enough. And it's also the pandemic now that have given us this time to self-reflect. I know it's really been hard for some people to watch the video of George Floyd's murder. I definitely had difficulty watching it. 
What was it like for you when you watched it? I had the same reaction. Um, you know, I get a, um, a reaction throughout my body naturally when, when they, these things happen. So this one, um, it was, it was a little different because, um, you know, we actually, America got to see the egotistic side of these officers, you know, obviously this was the norm because he had his hands in his pocket, like no big deal. And America got to actually witness this because as you stated, we're all at a standstill point. So we're basically forced to watch this. And for me, I had to watch it in segments and I still, um, couldn't bring myself to watch the ending of it because, um, it's just horrific for me to watch somebody being slaughtered like this. Like it's, you can't even put into words. So I still haven't brought myself to watch the ending part um, because it's really hard for me and it's super emotional. Um, But it's just like, you know, that happened to my dad 28 years ago and we're still here. Like, this is like, this is, it's unheard of. Like, I don't feel like America should be where we're at. Like, you know, and people should understand other people's frustration and all of us react different. You know, I can't, tell anyone else how to deal with their hurt. I can only demonstrate out of mine. And so I understand where these people are coming from, because like I said, this is a repetitive thing. So it's like, it's sad that America has to explain this to their kids because now they're, our kids are being exposed to this. And, and some of us are not ready. We weren't ready to process this with our kids. And now you're forced to do it because if you don't, they're, they're uh, communicating this with their friends. And it's like, well, you have to explain this to your kid, which is very sad to me. I think you made a really good point. And that is the conversation that we have to have with our family, with our romantic partners, loved ones, children. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're a parent and this is something that you've had to discuss all of a sudden in the middle also of trying to educate our children about the pandemic too. I mean, my goodness, thinking about all the fears at once, right? Teaching your kids to stay safe from a public health crisis, but then now this is happening. So what was that like having to have that conversation with your own family? You know, it was weird because, um, you know, my daughter has been forced to, you know, read on her own. She's 13 and um, she's able to read all this stuff. And so explaining to her about the riots was different then now she had to experience it. And she was like, what is going on? Like the videotapes and that she, it was like anybody, you know, it's hard to accept. Like, this is crazy. And along with the pandemic, she's like horrified that she can't go to school. So it's, and this was, this was her first year in middle school. So it was like really stressful for her. Um, and then the fact that, you know, they, they, they try to break down his character and she's familiar with that because the same thing with my dad. So she was just like, she was overwhelmed, you know, she was overwhelmed and it was kind of hard for me to explain that to her. And with my son, he's only one, so he has no idea, but (laughs) it's sad because I I think to myself, he's an African-American. He's going to play with all walks of life. He's innocent. He doesn't know any better. Like Tamar Reese, he could be playing in a park and be killed for playing with a toy gun in the park. So that part is like, it's like devastating for me. As a middle schooler, your daughter, I mean, there's so much understanding already, but also it's so much confusion. I mean, this is also when, you know, kids are really just coming into their own, wrestling with their identity. Who am I? And then thinking, wow, through no fault of my own, somebody could attribute all kinds of negative characteristics onto me. And I've done nothing. I've literally just stood there, right? And I think that 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 is very scary for our children. I have talked to many kids and teenagers and just that feeling of not feeling safe. And I'm sure that as a parent, it's scary too, as you said, you know, growing up 
especially for your son as he gets older, how will you talk to him about this? And, and what do you think you'll have to discuss? And, and obviously we are trying our best to change that conversation and get people to understand what's going on. But I also really understood what you said earlier about how it was hard for you to watch the George Floyd video. Maybe it was maybe too reminiscent of what your dad went through. And when your dad went through this, there was no social media you know, phone cameras. It was a camcorder. Somebody had caught it on an old school yes. camcorder. Um, it's different now. It's different now. It's so much easier for this to go viral in, in the social media platform. But like you said, some of the main issues are still the same. So what do you think we need to be working on as you're looking at these two time periods? And, and where do we need to go next? You know, I think that we need to um, learn how to operate from our hearts and not our eyesights because sometimes our projective and our judgment is totally off. Um, and, you know, we can easily do that now because we're forced because of the pandemic. And it's like, hey, we can exercise and learn this new habit, which lead, may lead America into a new foundation of hope of just everything. You know, so I think um, the number one thing is like judgment and things like that, because everybody's already on edge. Um, before this this videotape. And of course, African-Americans were already on edge because the media portrayed like, first it was like African-Americans couldn't get it. And then now all of a sudden they like pumped it. And then this happens. And so it's like, we have this paranoia about us, obviously. And some people, you know, white, black, green, yellow, they act different under pressure. And, and the pandemic has made everything like even more just dramatic. So I just encourage everybody to like walk in love and get familiar with someone you're not familiar with and find out your common denominators, your common interests versus, you know, your dislike and things that you're different. Cause we have family members that we're different from, but that doesn't make us love them any less. So I just encourage, you know, everybody to like learn this new technique and walk in love and figure out how you can help the next person because we all live here on this earth. What you said right now is so powerful and is such an important lesson for all of us to take. And this whole idea of familiarity, um, just getting to know somebody who's different from you. It, it's crazy how powerful that can be. You know, when we talk about issues of discrimination, judgment, stereotypes that are negative, it's interesting how some of that gets reduced once you actually come into contact with somebody. Like you said, find out what your common denominators are. Really, we're all human and we're motivated by a lot of the same things. And, and that this idea of racism does start to get better when you meet somebody and talk to them and really get to know them at a person to person level. And oftentimes people have these stereotypes and having never really spoken to an African-American person, for example, or never spoken to a transsexual individual or, you know, a female that comes from a different upbringing, whatever the differences are, people sometimes make all these judgments because they've never really even come into contact or try to take the time to get to know somebody different from them. Why do you think people are afraid to do that? Or why do you think people don't do that? You know, I'd have to say it's it's very much a, a um, generational domino effect, you know, and we don't realize oftentimes that we have that effect because we've been going through our whole life and our family's been going through it and our grandparents. So it's like the natural, the norm, you know, but if you um, have an open mind and you never know, like it will teach you things about your own self that you're not even aware of. And then you could take a deep breath once you get to know this person. And then you could, you know, because sometimes we all have an 
effect on our own friends. And so by us loving someone or by us showing someone support, our friends see that, our family see that. And it's like, well, wait, something about this person may be great. Let me get to know them. And it's like, we have that effect to have a domino effect. So I, I do have hope. It's like really small, but I do because I have friends that are all walks of lives and they took the time to get to know me. They took the time to get to know other nationalities. So it's like, I have like every, almost every nationality of friends possible. So I just encourage people to have a like-minded mind and, you know, take a deep breath and get to know someone. And it is hard because nowadays it's like, you know, do I trust it? Do I not do it? You know, it's all these questions, but it's like, take a deep breath, trust your gut and give it a chance. You know, when you were growing up, you went to a public school. Everybody knew that you were Rodney King's daughter. So when all of this was at its height and everybody was talking about it and really striving to understand how something like this could happen and what they could do, what did that feel like to you trying to live a normal uh, you know, school life and having this come up so much? It was very difficult for me um, for a number of reasons. For one, my dad was, um, even though who he was, he still would come up to the school and like buy, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those because I haven't even seen them anymore, but there's like these things that they're round and the tennis balls like go attached to them. He would buy like tons of those and come on my lunch break and like play with the kids. And I'm like, you're not supposed to be up here, but they didn't care. They let him. He would come to um, campsites and they would let him. But I'm like, nobody's parents here. So it was like he always did not think of himself like that. He just loved helping people and loved, you know, so it was like a catch 22 because it was like on the news. And then he's at your school and I'm like, dang, you know, like and then, you know, kids are cruel. They don't have a filter. So. Some of them were cool. Some of them weren't, you know, their projection was based off of their parents or grandparents, whatever the case may be. So that was a whole nother process. So it was um, challenging for me because like I said, kids are like really cruel and it's like, they don't know better, but they're, you know, they are kids. So it was a bit of a challenge. I can imagine. And yet your, your dad also still tried his best to, I mean, it sounds like he was a good dad. He was very involved and he even encouraged you to go to all these workshops and camps where you can work on your self-esteem and and learn skill sets. But obviously the beating had a huge impact on his health and his mental health. So what was that like watching how he was trying to recover? You know, that was another um, challenging thing for me because, you know, um, everybody just assumed that um, he would be normal. And it's like, if you really think about that, no one will ever be normal. Like um, he had over 50 broken bones in his entire body. His eye socket was busted out. Um, He had permanent brain damage. It had a major effect on him, but he never allowed that to project within us, you know, his kids. And it was, it was sad to see him suffer. Like I could tell that he would be in pain a lot of the times. And at night, like to witness Um, his nightmares was like unbelievable, you know? And it was like, he had this thing where he was like battling within himself to try to be strong mentally and physically. But you could tell a lot of the times he was like struggling, you know? And so, and he was like a super optimistic person. Uh, When I was younger, like I stated before, he would like send me to all these leadership camps. And sometimes I would hate it because I would, from LA, he like sent me to Orange County with these kids. And I'm like, I don't know any of these kids. I hate it. But now that I'm an adult and I'm, I'm so thankful for those experiences because it's broadened my horizon. It's made me see things in a different light. It's made me 
want to go back to the community and hey, look, you know, because it it makes you tap into a whole nother world that you can change the world. You know, if I was stuck in that bubble, well, I wouldn't know anything else. I wouldn't be exposed. I wouldn't be wanting to radiate light. And I love that we're talking about these more little known facts about your dad, because obviously what we focus on is the beating and how horrible it was. And like you said, sometimes people even try to create negative narrative in some ways to justify, okay, well, it happened because maybe he wasn't a good person or something like that. And it's really weird that human beings try to do that because we actually have lots of studies that show us that people do this. So when something horrible happens to somebody that seems very unjust, the human mind goes to this weird place of trying to find out, well, was he a bad person? Because maybe there was a part of him that deserved it or something. It's weird that the human mind does that. And it's not just with your dad. We see it over and over, like he's with George Floyd and in a lot of other studies that they have done. So I'm glad that we're talking about his legacy, the important lessons that he taught you. And just like you were saying earlier, how sometimes we learn bad habits, bad ideas, maybe even discriminatory ideas from parents and grandparents. We can also learn really beautiful things from parents who are well-meaning and trying to establish, you know, positive skill sets and an optimistic mindset in you. So it's probably no surprise that eventually you started to get on your own uh, wellness and advocacy track where you're trying to bring people together. Because even when all of this was going on. And I thought that was just so profound that as the riots were happening, that your dad basically said, Hey, can we all get along? And it's amazing that he said that because obviously he's saying, Hey, let's all try to find a solution here. You know, it's, it's not right. What happened to me, but it doesn't mean that we stop working with the police. You know, we have to find a way forward, maybe educate people, maybe provide them with the resources and skills so this stops happening so much. So when did you decide to turn all of this into your new mission? I worked at an accounting firm. And so I would, this is like way before my dad passed and I would go to Skid Row twice a month, um, just depending on my budget. And I would just make make sack lunches and go down there and pass them out. And my dad would get so pissed off at me, like, don't spend your own money, you know, start a foundation. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, no, do it. Don't do that. You know, he would get so upset. So after he passed, um, I just couldn't figure out what to do to honor him. And so it came to light. I was like, oh, we, I was in the same building as Legal Zoom. They were upstairs. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I started working with them. And then um, I stopped because I was like, it was literally two months after my dad had passed. And, um, I, you know, I started grieving. And I didn't know, like, that level of grieving, mm. um, it was, it took, like, years. And I'm still dealing with it differently. You know, I've accepted it now, barely, barely the last two years. So it took me all those years. He's He's been gone for eight years. Um, it took me a a numerous of amount of years to actually accept the fact that he wasn't coming back. And so, um, and my dad would talk to us like boys, like he didn't talk to us like girls. He was, but on the other end, he was the nurturer. Our moms were like the disciplinary person. So it was like mixed emotions because I'm like, are you going to cry? Are you going to just not do anything with the world? What are you going to do with your pain? Or you can't just go to work and come home. Like you have to continue you have to use that. And that's something that he taught us. Like, okay, it's okay to spend a couple minutes, but you can't let it, you know, you can't float on with the days because what good is that serving the world, you know, by you just dealing with your emotions, you know, and I had to like, duh, wake up, get to work. So the past two years, I've just been um, continuing on have the domino effect of going to school, speaking to middle schools. Um, I went to my old middle school and Um, They had their first International Women's Day um, two years ago. And that was pretty powerful because I didn't expect, you know, nowadays kids don't really know. They know the name Ronnie King, but some of them don't because they weren't born. 
I had a really, it was actually three years. I had a really personal experience with two of the students because also being that it was my old middle school, I had always been friends with my seventh grade English teacher. So all these years we've been friends. So she told me one of her worst students ever from that day, because she cried, they were crying, like two girls were like crying and it made me cry because I didn't expect that. And um, I didn't even go into the depth of my childhood. I just was speaking encouragement and, and um, speaking on the struggles that you did with in middle school and different tips that I used when I was in middle school. I didn't expect any kids to cry, let alone these were like the worst kids in the school. And she said from that day on, um, they completely changed. And I'm still in contact with these girls to this day. They're uh, juniors in high school. Wow. They're like doing very well. So that was like life changing for me. Um, and I've done that numerous of times, but this particular time, because it was my old school and the girls actually were sincerely crying, um, it touched me. It, it really touched me. I think it's wonderful that you started this whole journey with just on your own, just feeding the homeless, like just doing what you can do as one person as Laura. And then your dad saying, hey, you know, maybe this can be a bigger movement. So then you started the Rodney King Foundation in your dad's honor, and you started to do a lot more um, bigger things in the community, connecting with different resources. What do you think about building a bridge between the community and our police? You know, what do we need to do there that can really move all of the progress that you've started forward? Because again, as we just talked about, the fact that George Floyd is still happening it means that there's still more work to do. And I think a lot of people want to just say, well, you know what, like, let's just completely defund the police and be done. I mean, how do you feel about those ideas? And do you think there's a different way? There's a different way. Um, Like I said, I can't tell people how to deal with their hurt. That's the unfortunate part. I can only demonstrate from a place of where I'm hurt at and still, you know, figure out solutions of the world. And I think um, a couple of years ago, I did this project with the LA um, Youth Corps and the police officers. And it was like big on the media and the media like totally flipped it. Like, oh, Ronnie King's daughter works with the police. And that bothered me. But they didn't talk about the dialogue that we spoke about, you know, within the building of different solutions and uh, the way that police are aggressive towards people, um, the respect level. They didn't cover any of the things that were highly important. They only, you know, flipped it. So I went through a weekend of like, depression, but I feel like, um, still, still that gives hope because it's like all officers aren't bad. I have friends personally that are police officers and they're great people. However, there's the number that are way bigger of bad officers. So it's like a catch 22. I think the police department need to, um, instead when someone's hired in and sworn in, don't forget about them, check on their mental state, Mm. evaluate them because they're exposed to the world after they're hired their life changes. They're not the same person they, that got sworn in. So they need to be reevaluated, not just a quick thing, not just a quick fix. Because for example, one of the officers that beat my dad, all, actually they all were fired, but one of them, two of them went back on the force in Santa Monica and he worked there for like 15 years. Hmm. That's crazy to me. Okay. He was fired from the LAPD, but he's still a police officer somewhere else. What if, you know, my thing is, what if I would have ran into them? Cause I've had plenty of nightmares, plenty of, you know, things I went through. What if I ran into them on the street? And naturally as a kid, even as an adult, I have a natural reaction to the police. Yeah. Um, And like I did something out of panic. You know, people don't realize that part. Like it's a whole process. And it's like he should not be on the task force because for whatever 
it's just like unfair to me. It's like, you know, I brought up the fact that Mike Vick got like, I don't know how long, but he got way more time than the officers that beat my dad. One of them even got like two years of probation. Like, what is that? You know, it's like, it's not, I think, I think, um, it's just not, they're not equaling up. Like the, the saying is this. And then it's like, you know, when the cameras are on, because everyone's protesting or burning down, they want to say, okay, now we'll do something to stop this. But then after the smoke clears, like right now, we don't hear anything else about what's going on. It's like, it's not important anymore. So it's like, I think after it needs to be as important as when it happens. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up. It's this idea of the long game the long game of correcting injustices, the long game of once you hire a police officer, you got to check in on them and take care of them. And if they have certain skills that are deficient or if they maybe just need to be educated a different way, you've got to be providing those resources to them. You know, um, not everybody is a bad person, as you said, but maybe they need education. Maybe they just need to learn. Right. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't know about, for example, a constant check within police departments where it's like, hey, every year, let's like check on how you're doing mentally and physically. Like what's going on? Because maybe some of them have had some things happen to them and now they're all up in arms themselves and completely vigilant and they're going to react differently when they're in the middle yep. of a crisis. And that's not going to be good because it's that moment to moment decision making that results in these tragedies that we've been hearing about. And I know that again, you know, it must have been hard for you in some ways to hear from other people, like them spinning the narrative, like, oh, now Rodney King's daughter is like in cahoots with the police. You're like, well, how are we going to get change to go forward if we're not having conversation and trying to figure out solutions? And and that's what I love about what you're doing, because not only are you trying to work with everybody in the community from the police to citizens and also to younger people so that they can be well-educated and empowered, you're also doing um, a lot of other things. And I want to talk about the scholarship fund that you started and why you started it. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, I started it um, last year on the highlight of the riots, and I wanted to bring to the world a highlight, a a glow of African-American men, because um, as we watch the TV, there's always like a frown or a bank robbery, or it's it's always negative. It's a negative narrative. It's never anything positive about a father does this, you know, and it's like, um, I wanted to be the one to highlight that because my dad was an amazing person. Like he exposed us to things that I would have never gone skiing had it not been for my dad. I would have never gone fishing. I would have never played softball. I would have never. It was like a number of things that my dad did, not my mom, my dad. And the same with my older sister and my younger sister. She was fairly young, but same thing. Um, it's a lot of things that my dad exposed me to. And it's different with the dad because, you know, 90 percent of the time a girl's love comes from her dad you know, the, the type of conditioning of how you deal with a man and how you allow a man to treat you comes from a father. I just wanted to lift the financial burden for fathers to spend time with their kids. And of course, some people will never admit, like, I can't afford to take you on a date. So they'll just be like, I don't want to, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy. But we wanted to lift the burden. Like if we can financially support a father, whatever, whatever funding allows us to do, that's a great thing. Because again, all problems come from lack of self-esteem. And if you start at a young age, if, if you have a father there conditioning you on unconditional love, like the world is unstoppable for you, you know, regardless of whatever community you live in as kids, most kids don't really know they're in a bad community until they get to, you know, a certain level. So it's like, if you're operating, if a kid is allowed to operate out of love, 
the world is like limitless for them. I think so too. And I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of unconditional love and especially the bond between a daughter and her father, that that's so important. It's so true that that is the first template of how you should allow yourself to be treated by a man and even what you should be looking for in a man, right? Because the problem with um, bad relationships oftentimes is that you're used to a certain way of interacting with a male. And then you end up unconsciously sometimes seeking that same template when you're an adult right. and looking for romantic love. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that you hear that. And sometimes people deal with it for the rest of their lives. It's like, hey, how come I always choose the same partner? And they're always a bad partner. They always reject me. They always make me feel bad about myself. And, and instead of having people go and try to seek that validation over and over again, let's start from the beginning so that we set up their relationships right. And they know what respect is and they know what Mm -hmm. empowerment is. And so I really love that idea, just kind of clearing the space so that dads can cultivate better relationships with their children and their families. I know that you have other goals as well. You're hoping to build a Rodney King Center in Watts. Tell me about what your plans are for that. So we're in the um, works of that now, all the legal matter and things like that. But um, it's in the heart of Watts. They have a center. Um. But if you're familiar with the Watts area, there's three different project units and, you know, those project units don't get along. And so, yeah, they have a, a um, the Watts Center, which is great. You know, that's they the new center, which is great. But that's in the projects. Well, they're all projects. But this one is called the Imperial Courts. And um, those kids, they don't have a place to go. So we're happy to uh, work with this new program, um, YAP, Youth Advocate Program, and also Engage the Vision nonprofit and open this center. So we're in the works of that. And we actually just finalized today our first, at, at that location, backpack giveaway. So even though schools will be out, we'll still pass out um, backpacks and uh, lunches. And because, you know, the kids will be at home and they need to, you know, practice math or whatever the case may be, they still need materials, even though they're not going to be in school, they still need materials to help them. So I'm really excited about that. And then um, we have another one in Long Beach that we'll be doing backpack, we'll drive by backpack giveaway as well. But um, I'm really excited about the center because it'll offer um, mental health. There'll be a therapist there. Um, We'll have different art projects, entrepreneurship programs, tons of things that um, will help them, you know, that, that would help me had I had it. So it's like, I'm really excited about that. Like really, really excited about it. I'm excited too. I mean, it sounds like tools for people to grow into their own and realize their full potential. I love to give my listeners tips on how they can change their lives every day. And I think you're just such an inspiration. And I want to talk about this idea of empowerment, because when I think about you and all your work, that's what you're all about. You're about self-empowerment and others' empowerment. And you've really dedicated your life to creating meaningful change in our world with both grace and strength. So let's talk with listeners about how this is possible. I think the first thing is you got to let go of that passive mentality, the the victim mentality maybe. And this doesn't mean that we forget about traumas or we don't process the horrible things that have happened and work on healing, but it does mean that you don't believe that you just have to react to bad things that happen to you. You got to take things up with your own abilities and basically become more proactive and thinking about what you can do. So don't let sadness, anger, and fear replace your ability to act because these feelings are telling us something. They're motivating us towards something. So Laura, how did you turn your sadness and and grief, especially over your father? What a complex thing to have to say goodbye to 
your dad, who you love so much. How did you turn those negative, sad, grieving feelings into positive change? You know, it's crazy. I still deal with that every single day. Um, I never got over it. And, I, and I've accepted the fact that I never will. Um, but I owe it to my dad to use the strengths that I, I saw him. You know, we never had normal days like where we would just be able to go out to eat and like have an intimate moment. It was always interrupted. And I saw the way he handled it. Like my sister and myself would get more mad than he would. He would politely like, you know, and I'm, we're like, oh, we can't have one moment, you know? And it's like, I saw the way he handled adversity. Um, yes, he had struggles. He did. He, he didn't have a perfect life. I'd be the one to admit that. Um, but 80% of the time, I think he handled it very well considered he didn't ask for his life to be, you know, under a magnifying glass. He didn't ask for people to follow him. I think he handled it well. And I'm, I just use his strength every day because I have tough days. You know, he was also a fitness guru at one period of time, actually majority of his life. And a lot of people don't know that I would watch him. Um, when I was younger, he had a whole gym downstairs and he would work out for hours. I'd be like, this man is crazy. You know, before I had my son, I would train four days a week at one of the hardest two gyms here in, in um, at Metroflex and Iron Addicts. And they do crazy things like, you know, ropes with tight, all kind of things. That's my go-to, you know, and that helps me mentally. It has nothing to do with looking good. You know, some people work out for different reasons. Um, for me, it was more mental. And it's like, you know, people are like, you're lifting tires, you're doing that. But if you think about the way life is, life is hard. Like lifting a tire is nothing compared to what you have to go through. Like life is really hard, but we don't have to be hard with it. You know, we can we can soften the blow and like have that domino effect to other people because people are looking at us and we may be the light to someone else and they don't even know we're having a bad day. Like a lot, I talked to my cousin yesterday and she's like, I can never tell you're having a bad day. Like it's never like, oh. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And that was inspiring for me because it's like, I do have bad days, but I can't, we, 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 as a people, we can't allow our emotions to cripple us because if we do, then we'll be paralyzed. It's okay. Unstoppable. It, I, I use that phrase all the time, be unstoppable. And it's like, it seems so positive and radiant, but it's like, the fact of the matter is, yeah, I'm going through this, this, and that, but I have to keep going. You know, some days maybe faster than others. Some days you barely move, but you're still unstoppable. You're not stopped. You're not at a standstill. You know, it's okay to take a breath and a reset, but you can't ever stop because if you think about it, the average person lives what, like 80, 70 years? That's really not long. It's really not long at all. So it's like you have this time to have this effect on this people. So you can have this radiant. So when you're long gone, people can practice what you went through, how you pulled yourself out. So that's really important. And it's like, if you operate out of a place that's not in your ego, you're more likely to fulfill that mission. But if we're in our ego, like, oh, I don't feel like this today. I don't like, regardless how you feel, you still have to get the job done. So if that means just waking up, taking a deep breath, drinking water, going for a two hour walk, so be it. Whatever your it is, find your it and, you know, make it unstoppable to the world. I can't believe how powerful all of that just was. It's very profound to talk about this idea of being unstoppable. And it's not about like, hey, every day is going to be a hero day. No, it, it's the fact that time moves forward and we only have a very brief period of time. And That's I love it. that. And I love the fact that you're saying, forgive yourself if you're having a tough day and all you got done today was taking a shower, getting dressed and going on a two hour walk. That's okay too. You're not going to have a 
bang out day every single day. Right. But, but don't stop moving and don't stop connecting with those things that are really important to you because we have only this tiny, tiny blip of time to That's make it. a difference on this earth. Right. And I think another part of the secret towards empowerment is really honing in on these issues that speak to your heart and soul and taking action towards those. And what I was really moved by is the fact that you have channeled a lot of your recent energy into the I am King scholarship, and that's creating financial, educational, and social empowerment for people, right? It's like you can have these tools and you can be better and you can have better relationships and, and make better opportunities for yourself. So how did that become something that you knew you had to focus on? I mean, like, how did you realize this is what people need right now to get to that next phase. I just wanted to know um, my friends that have completely changed their life that were gang affiliated. A lot of them turned into the fitness world and mentor. And I, and I did a study and I, the conclusion was they didn't have a father figure. They said, had I had a father figure, I had a male, I, you know, that was the bottom line. And I was like thinking, I'm like, ding, that's it. You know, I wanted to have that for kids. So at the end of the day, my dad loves me, you know, just imagine like, if you're, that's like, that's the saying, like God loves you. So it's like the world could have this whole thing against you. And it's like the power of like having your dad behind you. It's like, I can do anything, you know, imagine what African-American kids could do if their dad was, you know, involved. And it, it's not like the world pitches they're this bad person or they always frown or they're shooting or I wanted to create a different narrative. I love the fact that we're trying to correct a negative cliche that keeps happening in our society, like the idea of black fathers not being around. Yes. Well, what if we gave them the tools and the resources so they can be around? Right. I really believe this is going to be a wonderful project and I can't wait to see it continue to unfold. And I think another big part of the tip too, to empowerment is developing skill sets. I mean, our brains are highly adaptable. They're resilient. Sometimes you find a passion, but then maybe you don't have the skills to execute it yet. So I'm sure along the way, you've had to learn and pick up on some skill sets to do what you're doing now. How did you go about it? And I think maybe a word of hope for people who get kind of discouraged, like they find their passion project, but they're like, oh, but I don't know how to do that. I guess I can't do it, you know? Yeah. I've learned to channel my pain um, to help the world because I realized that if I let my pain operate me, I would not be a great person. Although people are like, when you're mad, you're not that bad. But I, I haven't, I've never let myself completely go out of anger and I never wanted to project that. I don't even like when I'm upset. Like, I don't like the way it feels because I kind of blank out and it's like, I don't, I try not to let myself do that. So you have to do things within yourself. And I love the fact that mental health is a big deal now because once upon a time it was like, that was a negative thing. Like, Oh, they're crazy. They have a therapist. No, that's a great thing. Now it's like normal every day, take time out so that you could be a hundred percent and you can show up everywhere. Sometimes I've learned that, you know, if I'm not in the right headspace, I'll show up, but I'm not present. So um, in today's world, it's a big deal, especially with Zoom. You know, you can even be 100 percent present there or you can even be here, but like zoned out. But it's like if you take the time, if you zoom into self, when you come back to the world, 
it's like a restart. It's like you read my mind because that was the next tip towards empowerment is you got to prioritize self-care. I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup and to do your best work and empower others to do the same, you got to take care of yourself and know that you deserve it. And even though we've been talking more about this, this idea of self-development, self-care, healing, it's amazing to me that only 6% of Americans practice self-care daily. And I'm glad that you're talking about how to change that. But Laura, what are some of your favorite self-care strategies? Like what are some of your go-tos when you're having a stressful day? I'm an audio person. I'll YouTube Les Brown, uh, Maya Angelou, Denzel Washington, um, just different things. I listen to repetitive thinking over and over and it's um, empowering. You know, that's one of my favorite words, empowering, unstoppable. And it's like, if you condition your mind to, you know, because we don't realize it, but like whatever we watch and see and listen to, that becomes a, you know, it's, 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 embedded in us. And if we condition ourselves with the news every day, that's what we're going to be consumed of. And we're going to be like, oh, the world's ending. In a flip side, yeah, that may be true, but there's a whole nother part to it that you can like recondition your mind. Reconditioning your mind is like so important and everybody has the resources to do it. We all have smartphones. This idea of positive mindset being something that you can build, right? It's not just, oh, some people are just born more positive. I mean, maybe, maybe some people's personalities are a bit more positive, but it doesn't mean that you can't work from wherever you are and build and cultivate a more positive mindset because that's what's going to help you to really tackle the challenges of the world. So I want to end on the last tip to empowerment, and that is connecting with mentors. I feel like that's such the theme of what we talked about. Your dad was a mentor in many ways, and you're trying to build the scholarship so that young kids can have their dads as mentors too. But there's obviously mentors that you can have outside of your home too. So if people are listening, they're saying, I really want to get involved. I want to do something great for the world, but I don't know where to start it's so powerful to have somebody who's a few steps ahead of you who can educate you. So how do people connect with like-minded people who can maybe help show you the way? You know, I definitely encourage them to look up foundations, you know, not just the Rodney King Foundation, look up different um, foundations that tug at your heart. You know, um, you'd be surprised, you know, maybe it's not a donation. Maybe it's something you can mentor. Maybe it's just um, giving your feedback on a newsletter, but find something that has a um, a common interest that tug at your heart and, and commit that for yourself because you'd be surprised how much that'll help you. And then your input, you know, I think if we looked at the world as we're all part of this big puzzle piece, right? I mean, this big puzzle, you know, you're a piece, I'm a piece, our neighbor's a piece. But if all of us are not connected in, then the puzzle is incomplete. If we all connect in, you have this big magical piece. But if we all take ourselves away, it's like the puzzle is incomplete. So it's like you're important. You're just as important as I am. You know, you give the world something that um, we, had it not been for you, we wouldn't be who we are. And it's like you're needed because if you ever look at puzzle pieces, they're all different. None of them are the same, you know, and that's how I look at the world. So I just feel like that's a powerful statement. And we can still do it, even though right now so many of us are virtual, we can still find a way to meaningfully connect. And Laura, your work is just so incredibly inspiring. Where can people learn more about you and the amazing things that you're up to? Sure. You're welcome to go to the Rodney King Foundation, and it's actually www.rodneyking.org. There's tons of resources. Most importantly, we'd love to hear your feedback because, you know, 
all of us think differently. So if you give us your feedback on, hey, I have this idea, we're always welcome. We're open-minded. Um, yeah, just come by the website. We'd love to hear from you. Laura, I love your openness, your positivity, and your ideas for really transforming our world and creating a better space for the next generation. So thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you listeners for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. And remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. Hey, it's Dr. Judy. Since 1971, Pepperdine Graduate School of Education and Psychology has had one mission, to strengthen professionals for lives of purpose, service, and leadership. And it just happens to be where I work. Online psychology at Pepperdine is the latest evolution of our mission with online master's programs designed for people who want to align their work to their life's true calling. Pepperdine offers three online programs that feature course topics like trauma in diverse populations, multicultural counseling, social psychology, and so much more. The online master's programs are led by renowned faculty in the field who are passionate about their life's work and their students. Students will learn from faculty like myself who see sharing knowledge and mentoring students as more than work, but a noble pursuit and responsibility. Through an intuitive digital campus, students are connected to everything and everyone that they need access to, wherever they are, on any device. At Pepperdine, purpose is not just something that we preach. It's something we embody. We are a community of more than 130,000 professionals making waves and enriching lives. So what are you waiting for? Pursue your purpose at online psychology at Pepperdine. Visit PepperdinePurpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. That's P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E Purpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. See you there.